Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Blokeology, evidence-based health, fitness and lifestyle for men. My name is Ewan Lawson and this is season 1 of Blokeology. Season 1 is all about running, from getting you started as a complete newbie to exploring new techniques for more advanced runners. Today it's just me, I haven't got John Richmond with me for this episode and that's because I just want to run through some cornerstone techniques and key principles to build an evidence-based training program. We've talked about running for newbies, basic equipment and kit for running, goals and habits, and some basics about low-level injuries and how to manage them. There's lots of good information there that will just start to get you thinking about some of the principles involved in running. But one of the things that you're likely to want to do once you start is actually to set off on a program. There are lots of programs and schedules out there available on the internet from 5k beginner programs to 10k to half marathon to marathon and even all the way up to ultras. Uh, lots of them are really good and you know will lead you through a training program and a regime that will get you fitter and hopefully will do it in a way that is sustainable and won't result in increasing your risk of injury. I think it's really worth understanding some of the key principles that lie behind these training programs. Not all of them will be covered or explained in any of these programs you might just download off the internet. And it's really worth understanding the principles so that if you do have a bad week or a bad day or you get really busy at work or you get a little bit ill, then you'll be able to have the flexibility and the understanding to know what you need to do next in order to keep getting fitter and to keep progressing as a runner. And, that, you know, most people want to progress. They want to get a little bit fitter. They want to get a bit more comfortable with what they're doing. And actually, there's a lot of enjoyment in running by doing that. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. And you can find the show notes at www.blokeology.io forward slash 005. And you can also sign up for the newsletter, the Journal of Blokeology, at www.blokeology.io forward slash journal. Okay, so let's get cracking. Right, so we're going to talk about eight key principles that are fundamental and will stand you incredibly good stead when it comes to setting up any exercise program. And we're going to focus on running today because this is the running season, but it, the principles largely apply to any, any effort where you're trying to get fitter, stronger, or related to exercise. So the first thing I want to highlight is adaptation. It's all about adaptation. The body has this incredible physiological capacity to change when it's put under pressure. And that is uh, an amazing feature of our physiology. If we do something to ourselves, if we put ourselves under stress, as well as coping with whatever comes our way, there are countless mechanisms within our systems which adapt to that stress. So if you put your cardiovascular system under stress, what happens is the body then becomes, and you do that repeatedly, the body then becomes more efficient at pumping and delivering blood to the muscles. And it can do that by increasing your blood volume. It'll even form new blood vessels, new capillaries to help deliver more blood to the, to the muscle. And that's why you notice things like as you get fitter, your heart rate tends to drop. And that's because you simply get better at pumping blood and therefore oxygen around your body to the muscles and the tissues that need that in order to uh, do the exercise. 
So this adaptation is absolutely critical. So it takes, but the thing you have to bear in mind about the adaptation is that it takes time. It doesn't happen instantly. And what the exercise and what the running is doing is putting your body under the stress. It isn't actually during the exercise program that many of these and much of these adaptations occur. It's afterwards. It's when your body's recovering. So that's an absolutely fundamental key principle. And it's why it's my number one thing on this list is that you have to remember that getting fitter and running is all about putting your body under stress. But the real magic happens once you stop running and the body adapts. Now, generally, that takes time. Some of the, some of the changes will happen really very quickly within a few days when it comes to uh, things like nerves firing off or other things. But actually, when it comes to doing things like growing muscles, developing those muscles, that's going to take a little bit longer. And typically that's why it might take weeks and months, but typically you can expect to see changes one to two weeks, perhaps, uh, the kind of the time frame I often think about when it comes to making these changes. And that's why you always hear people talk about in the marathon about the taper period. There's very little point doing significant hard exercise in the two weeks before a marathon. Your body doesn't actually have time to make the necessary adaptations and all that exercise is doing is going to be fatiguing you rather than giving you any significant benefit. Now this is mostly about cardiovascular adaptation and there are other adaptations like neuromuscular adaptations, muscle growth and bone adaptations that happen as well that are particularly important and may all happen on different time frames. The bone adaptations, for instance, are something that are likely to happen over weeks and months of regular exercise. And the additional strain on the bone actually stimulates the bones to become denser. And so that's an amazing benefit of running and any weight-bearing exercise is that you reduce the risk of getting very uh, light bones, but your bones density deteriorating. And of course, that can lead to problems with osteopenia and osteoporosis. So an incredible benefit there. Overall, that's my first one. Remember that as a key principle, it's all about adaptation. You have to give your body the chance to put it under stress and then give it a chance to recover, make the necessary adaptations, and that all takes time. There are no quick fixes to that. It is a very fixed commodity, so you can't suddenly turn yourself into a world-class athlete overnight through training. You have to give yourself the time to make the adaptations and build the necessary qualities in your body to cope with the demands you put it under. Okay, so my second key principle is that it's all about variation and cycles. Now, this relates directly from the first one, from the first principle about adaptation. The natural conclusion is that if you have to give yourself time to recover, you don't necessarily want to be doing hard, draining, intense sessions in that period immediately after one, another intense, hard, difficult session. You have to give yourself a chance to recover and make those adaptations. Now, on its very lowest level, that works on the very simple principle that you should stick to, which is hard day, easy day. Hard day, easy day. You should never back up two hard days and you give yourself a chance to recover. And that's a very simple premise that works incredibly well. On a bigger level, it can be applied also to your weeks and to your months and to whole training periods. It's something that athletes refer to as periodization. So you will go through phases where you may put in an intense block of training, but you won't try and do that month in, month out, all through the year. 
athletes will go through very specific phases where they put an intense burst of effort in, perhaps building towards a race, but they will then give their bodies a chance to recover as well. And for anybody who's building a training program, you need to build that in. And you should certainly at the very least, even those who are just aiming perhaps a little bit lower, something like a 5K, your very first 5K, it's very sensible to try and build in that kind of variation and cyclical nature to your training right at the very start. So you might do one week where you do a certain number of miles or a certain amount of time training. You might do very slightly less the week after. You'd do very slightly more again than you'd had done in the first week in week three. So hard week, easy week, hard week, easy week. But all the time building up, but just allowing your body a bit of a chance to recover. It is possible to put together quite sophisticated, detailed programs which take into account all these cycles and periodization. The simplest thing to remember is hard day, easy day. Try to make sure that there's variation and you're giving yourself enough chance to rest as well. My third key principle is that most of your runs should be done at a relatively low intensity. They should be easy. Now, this has been set out in some considerable detail in Matt Fitzgerald's book, 80-20 Running, and I highly recommend it as an evidence-based approach to your training. And it all falls back to this kind of Pareto principle, the 80-20 principle, that a lot of our life, and there are a lot of, whether it's economics or our behavior, a lot of activities fall into this 80-20 model. And it's been shown that it's not, you know, it's not an exact science. It it isn't always 80-20, sometimes it's 70-30, sometimes it's 90-10. If you make sure that the vast majority of your training is done at an easy level, the evidence suggests that's how you maximize the benefits. And it's benefits in terms of actually getting fitter and faster. You do not want to be running, be a one-pace runner who always runs at that kind of moderate intensity and it feels a little bit hard, but just about bearable, perhaps a little bit too hard at times. It's not a good way to train. And John and I have talked about this in the podcast before. You really want to be running slower than you think you're running for most of your runs. And that does take a bit of practice, and it, but it's well worth developing as a skill and as an evidence-based principle that it's likely to lead you to better uh, improved benefits from your training. That leads us on to number four. What is the fourth key principle? Well, for me, it's that sometimes you have to run fast. 80% might be run slow, but you can't really expect to be uh, improving your speed, improving your times as a runner, unless you do some running that's a little bit quicker. Now, running a little bit quicker can be a little bit painful at times, and it can be hard to judge the intensity as well. And so there are several different ways that you might want to think about how you judge the intensity. I think there are three main three main suggestions for this. The first one is heart rate. It's relatively easy to work out what your maximum heart rate is. And heart rate monitors are much more available than they used to be. Most people, uh, well, many people just have them on their wrist now in terms of uh, Fitbits and other wearable technology. Using a heart rate monitor can give you a really clear idea about how intensely you are working. One of the challenges of a heart rate monitor is that there's a little bit of lag with your heart rate. When you do a really intense burst of exercise, there's actually just a little bit of a delay before your heart rate really gets going. So if you're doing relatively short speed work, for example, it can be less easy to use your heart rate to gauge the intensity of that. So there are two other ways you can work it out. Uh, you can use pace. So actually timing yourself and how quick you're going. 
Now, actually, that's relatively easy to do these days with GPS watches and similar, which will have an almost, you know, within seconds, have an instantaneous report of exactly how fast you're going, whether you do it in minutes per kilometre or minutes per mile. As you get better, as you get experienced using your expected pace and raising it by, say, 20 seconds per kilometre or similar amount per mile, will actually give you a really good, reliable measure of exactly how hard you are having to work. And the third way, which is used by a lot of people, is perceived effort. There is something called the Borg rating scale, which actually goes from 6 to 20, which is a very detailed way of working out whether you feel. And it ranges from, you know, I feel fine and this is very relaxed to I'm working really hard up at the 20 point scale. Most people tend to use a 10 point scale. And as you get accustomed to it, it can be a really effective way of just gauging how hard you're working on a given bit of a run. So you can maybe choose to raise the intensity by a couple of notches for half a mile then drop back down to a relatively easy pace. And you can simply go on how far you feel, how, how hard you feel you're working is quite an effective way of doing that. It does take a bit of practice. And there are some other factors which come into play as well. The thing about perceived effort is it's not all in your muscles and your heart. There's a significant element that goes on in your brain as well. So sometimes if you're just having you're towards the end of a run or for other reasons, actually your brain can tell you you're very fatigued when in fact your body's actually capable of keeping on going. General advice in those circumstances is to probably listen to your brain, first of all, because it has a bit of a better view of the bigger picture and uh, will guide you very, you know, to a reasonable degree of accuracy when it comes to gauging how hard you're working. We'll certainly cover this in a later episode, but it's worth just briefly mentioning the different ways that you can run fast. It might seem a relatively obvious thing, but there are lots of different ways to structure it within a training program. And depending on exactly what you require and the distance you're running, uh, and just for general interest, uh, you may opt for different strategies. There is the obvious intervals, which is where you run a really very high intensity for short bursts, and it may be something like 10 times 100 metres, or you might do 3 times 400 metres or 4 times 400 metres. There are lots of different ways. You may choose to do reps up and down the side of a hillside. There are lots of different ways to do intervals. Uh, all of them tend to be fairly uncomfortable experiences, but there's no question that doing intervals is an incredibly effective way to build your fitness, to build your capability, and that they're a key bit of a training program, a key principle of a training program. But don't forget principle number two, that actually we're aiming at 80-20. They only make up a relatively small number of your sessions. You shouldn't be going out and running intervals every single day. Perhaps if you run four or five times a week, one of those might be an interval session in a week, and that'd be a typical pattern. Uh, the other ways that you can run fast are something called fartlek, which is a Swedish word, I think, for speed play. It's often done in groups, and it's where you vary your pace throughout the run. And you can choose to do other things like, you know, running a run, doing a run at a steady pace, and then finishing strong for the last 10 or 15 minutes. And there are lots of other variations on that theme of running fast at various different points, uh, depending on exactly what you want to achieve. Okay, so we're up to four principles. It's all about adaptation. You need to run and vary it. You're running according to cycles and make sure you're giving yourself sufficient rest. The majority of your runs should be easy following that 80-20 principle. And you do need to run fast at times as well, though. That's the fourth principle. So the last four principles are ones that may not be so immediately obvious, but I think if you want to develop a sustainable and long-term program for your running, they're really worth making sure you get it right so you don't fall prey to problems.
my fifth key principle is sleep. I think sleep is absolutely fundamental to your body's ability to recover from damage, to adapt, to cope with stresses, to build new tissues, to build new neuromuscular pathways, to do all the things you need to do to be fitter and healthier is incredibly difficult to do without sleep. We're absolutely going to cover sleep in more detail on blokeology in the future. But for the moment, I think it's worth just flagging it as an important element and perhaps just initially stating that I think there's a real problem with there's a macho thing which relates to sleep and about how it's cool to be really productive and get up early and to lose sleep. And for me, I can't think of anything that is more damaging for me. As I've got older, it's possible that I need less sleep, but actually I make an effort to get more. And it's now normal for me to go to bed at 10, not get up till seven and be getting nine hours sleep. And I find particularly with an increased exercise load, I absolutely need more sleep. If I've been out for a big run or a big cycle, then I'm more tired and my sleep, I feel like my sleep improves in quality, but I absolutely need more of it. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting up a bit earlier. And, and today I got up an hour earlier and went for a run because that was the only way I could fit it into my schedule this week. But as a long-term principle, short-term hits are fine, but as a long-term principle, getting your sleep right is absolutely key. The sixth principle is a really obvious one, the sixth key idea, and that is that you need to get your nutrition right and you have to eat correctly. If you're going to build muscle, if you're going to build those tissues, you're going to require a decent diet. Now, your body's actually very good at taking almost any substances, bar a few, and synthesizing them itself, but you're absolutely going to need the right kind of diet and the right kind of healthy approach to your eating in order to maximize any benefits from a training program. You know, if you're increasing, then you're just going to burn through more calories. And you may, be, you may be trying to lose weight, and that's fine. But you've got to be a little bit careful about crash dieting and also paying attention to your nutrition so that you don't then become deficient in any important vitamins and minerals as a consequence. We're going to come back to cover nutrition again. At the moment, we'll just flag it and say, getting this right is going to be incredibly important. My seventh key principle uh, could perhaps more accurately be described as principles, and it would have been easy to split these two out, and they are strength and flexibility. There is definitely a place for a strength training program as part of general health, and the, most government guidelines recommend that you do at least a couple of sessions a week of something that will build strength. And there's also no doubt that the evidence shows it can be tremendously beneficial in terms of running. Uh, and you know your ability to you know to cope with the stresses and strains of uh, of this discipline hill reps are incredibly good hill repetitions running up and down doing intervals on the side of a hill whether it's you know on a a road or whether it's actually on the side of a mountain on a fell are incredibly valuable for building leg strength but there is also a place for strength training sessions which involve using weights perhaps or certainly body weight as part of a program the other one is flexibility, and that's perhaps the really obvious one that everybody should be considering, but most people neglect to some extent. Runners, I think one of the things about paying attention to your flexibility is that it is highly likely to increase your resilience and reduce your likelihood of injury. There's good evidence things like yoga can reduce back pain, 
treat all sorts of other disorders. And it's very common for runners to have problems with getting very tight hamstrings. Some people then get more susceptible to certain types of injuries. And having a really good flexibility program and also making sure that, you know, you have a good understanding of dynamic warm-ups and how to go about warming up before you do go running to reduce the risk of injury is incredibly valuable. So I would definitely have these as key principles in any balanced training program that you are going to undertake. Now, a lot of this depends on how much you're actually going to do. If you're just setting out and you're just getting going and doing relatively modest amount of running, then actually building in a strength training program and building in a whole heap of flexibility is perhaps not something you need to prioritize initially. But if you were to run into any difficulties with some, you know, tightness in your calves or other problems like iliotibial band problems, then actually doing that sort of prehab where you do certain flexibility and pay attention to that may be a really important factor in making sure you don't run into problems further down the line. And if you're doing a lot more miles, then it's almost certainly going to pay itself back in spades that time by spending it, making sure that you're not, you know, if you're churning out 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 miles a week, then strength and flexibility are, are become crucial. Okay, and my final one, my eighth key principle to an evidence-based running plan is to not run at all. And in fact, it's cross-training. I have certainly seen around that there can be some, you know, sometimes quite negative, and I find it slightly baffling, there can be negative approaches to people who cycle or do triathlons amongst runners. And there's a real sort of tribal mentality that can build up. I've never subscribed to that. And I think that, you know, one of the things you can really do in my own personal experience is that I've been able to do a lot more running over the past few years by making sure I bake in other kinds of exercise. And that means that I don't quite get some of the attritional effects of doing a lot of running. I've been able to build my cardiovascular fitness at the same time. And there have been other side benefits in terms of that I then bring back to my running. So the obvious couple, there's a few different ones. And there's some good evidence that actually if you cross train and some, you know, some highly accomplished runners, even at the very elite level, will often include some cross-training as part of their program. There's some good evidence that it can really substantially improve your performance. And it's just, and it's nice. It's nice to do different kinds of exercise. I think it's all part of a balanced program. Cycling's particularly good. Uh, using elliptical trainers can be helpful. Uh, swimming, it's not weight-bearing, so it has you know relatively limited benefit in that regard, but it's still going to work your cardiovascular symptom uh, system, and you may well get other benefits from flexibility. And it's just a, you know, it's a change of emphasis as well. Whatever you're into and you want to get into running, absolutely try when you can to build in some cross training. I know that cycling has made a huge difference to my running and has allowed me to keep on running at points where, you know, even if you pick up a little, and it's particularly, I guess, you pick up a little niggle, like a little injury and a little calf strain. And it's really depressing. If you haven't got anything else to do, you can't go out walking, you can't go out running. But actually, at those times, I've been able to do like go out for a few cycles for a week or 10 days. I've allowed that niggle to settle down or I've gone for a swim as well. I've still been able to get lots of exercise, not feel that I've suddenly becoming undertrained or inactive. And then, but I've actually given myself a chance to recover rather than just plowing on. If you haven't got any other interest and you don't do any cross training, there is a bit of a risk that in some people, you see them just carrying on with the running, even carrying little niggles and little injuries. And they oftentimes will end up more seriously injured and very frustrated when they can't get out.
that's it. That's the eight key principles I want to offer. And I think putting these together would allow you to develop a really high quality training program based on some sound evidence from the very lowest levels if you're just getting started. And a lot of people who are getting into more advanced programs, there's one or two aspects of these that would really benefit them if they were to develop. So don't forget it's all about adaptation. Make sure that you've got a decent variation and periodization in your workout. Try to stick to mostly running easy 80% of the time, but you will, of course, have to bake in some faster runs at, at points as well. Make sure you're getting enough sleep. Make sure you're getting the right kind of nutrition. Pay attention to your strength and flexibility and where you can develop interests and cross-train as well. All of these will really help you to develop as a runner. And of course, they're just good for your health and your fitness generally. Thank you very much for listening. The show notes for this episode can be found at blokeology.io forward slash 005. Please do leave a review and subscribe at Apple Podcasts or via your preferred podcatcher. Any feedback is very welcome and you can leave comments, send email or make contact via Twitter, Facebook and the usual social media channels which can all be found at www.blokeology.io. Thanks again. Until next time.